and welcome to Empowering Minds, Mental Health Europe's podcast featuring conversations with mental health experts, psychologists and psychiatrists, practitioners and people with lived experience. I'm Margie, Junior Communication Officer at Mental Health Europe, and today we will talk about one of the most discussed papers of the past few months. On the 20th of July 2022, the article The Serotonin Theory of Depression, a Systematic Umbrella Review of the Evidence, was published in the scientific journal Molecular Psychiatry. Authors of the review are Joanna Moncrief, Ruth Cooper, Tom Stockman, Simon Amandula, Michael Hengartner, and Mark Horowitz. Since its appearance in the medical journal, the article has been accessed 620,000 times, generating large-scale media coverage and massive public response, finally ranking among the 400 most-read scientific papers of the 21st century. The article investigates the idea that depression is the result of reduced levels or activity of serotonin. Serotonin is a neurotransmitter, a messenger chemical that carries signals between nerve cells in the brain, and the long-standing chemical imbalance theory of depression suggests that a reduction in levels of serotonin or reduced activity at receptors is responsible for depression. The systematic review shows that there is no convincing evidence that depression is associated with or caused by lower serotonin concentrations or activity. This finding has obvious implications for the use of the antidepressants SSRIs, since it has been widely propagated that these antidepressants work by increasing abnormally low levels of serotonin in depression, therefore rectifying a chemical imbalance. In this episode, I will interview Dr. Mark Horowitz, one of the authors of the paper. Mark is a clinical research fellow in psychiatry at the National Health Service in England, an honorary clinical research fellow at University College London, and is a training psychiatrist. He has completed a PhD from the Institute of Psychiatric Psychology and Neuroscience at King's College London in the Neurobiology of Depression and Antidepressants Action. He has experienced the difficulty of coming off psychiatric medications first then, which has informed much of his work. Mark co-authored the Royal College of Psychiatric Guidance on Stopping Antidepressants and has co-founded Otro Health, which aims to set up a clinic to help people come off unnecessary antidepressants in Canada and the US. Hi Mark, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much. Today we want to go over the recent paper on the serotonin theory of depression you co-authored and explain its main concepts in an accessible way to our audience. So our goal is to allow everybody from medical professionals to service users to truly understand what the paper says without getting lost in the noise of the media reaction. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's start from the beginning. Why, when and how did you and your colleagues want to conduct this research in the first place? So the, the study was led by my professor, Joanna Moncrief, who is a psychiatrist and, and professor of psychiatry who's got a long-standing um, interest in the way that mental uh, health conditions are talked about and interpreted and, and communicated to the public um, and, the, and the comparison with research. Uh, she, it was, it was her idea to look at this. And so now, uh, more than a year and a half ago, she got together a team uh, involving me, uh, some researchers from Switzerland and Italy uh, and other people in England to, to look at the data that connects serotonin and depression. 
And the reason why we were so interested in it was because the idea that depression is caused by low serotonin or more colloquially known as the chemical imbalance theory of depression is extremely widespread amongst the public, you know, based on surveys in places like Australia and America, 85 or 90% of people think that depression is caused by chemical imbalance or low serotonin. And there has been lots of research done looking at serotonin and depression for the last 50 years. Um, there's been uh, some studies that find increased serotonin in depression, some find lowered serotonin, some find the same. And so what we really wanted to do was to sit down and put all of the research together that had been done, all the high quality research, and see what did it actually show when you look at all the data together. That's why we, we set about doing it. And was there a reason why you were personally involved in this research? Why, why was it important to you? So actually a couple of reasons. So um, I'm, I'm a training psychiatrist and I'm an academic and I'm also a, a patient who's used um, uh, mental health medications, psychiatric medications. So from my point of view as a researcher and um, psychiatrist, I had been taught that low serotonin was a part of the explanation for depression. I, I'd been taught there was more to it than that. But um, I think it, I, I um, once was asked to give a lecture to psychology students when I was doing my PhD. And my research at that time was about the role of inflammation in depression. And I wanted to talk about that in my lecture, but I wanted to give a general introduction about what causes depression. And I remember uh, looking for an article that showed that depression was caused by low serotonin because I was so um, sure that that was part of the reasoning. And I... I'm a very um, slightly obsessive lecture giver, so I wanted to find a reference for every single point that I made. And I couldn't find a reference that showed that depression was caused by low serotonin, but I was so convinced that it must be caused by low serotonin, I ended up just putting in a review into my lecture that talked about low serotonin being a cause of depression. In other words, I gave a lecture, a lecture to 30 psychology students in which I told them that depression was caused by low serotonin because I was so convinced by what I had been taught in medical school and in my psychiatry training that even though I couldn't find a paper that showed it, I was certain it was true. And I think that's just representative of um, the water that I was swimming in, that we all swim in, that this is such an, a, 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 a taken-for-granted point that we all believe it. And if, if it's true for an academic psychiatrist, it's probably even more true for the public who is immersed in this in the media uh, and, and different explanations of depression. Um, and on the patient side of things, I can't remember if I was ever told directly that I had a chemical imbalance when I was diagnosed with depression, but I generally had this idea that, yes, there was something um, wrong chemically with me. And so I, I did have this idea um, that, that there, was, there was some kind of chemistry at play, and that informed some of my decisions about treatment and, and how I thought about myself. So I guess from that point of view, I was interested to see how did this data actually stack up when looked at objectively. Thank you for sharing this. To go back to the basics of the paper, you already mentioned serotonin a few times, and I have a general idea of what that is. But can you explain in simple terms for me, for the general public, what serotonin is and why in the past was it linked to depression? Sure. So, so serotonin is a chemical 
it is what's described as a chemical messenger or neurotransmitter in the brain. And there are dozens of such chemical messengers. And the way the brain works is using electricity and chemistry. And so a nerve impulse is sent up a nerve. When it comes to the end of that nerve, there's a little gap before the next nerve, which is called the synapse or a space between the nerves. And there are certain nerves that release serotonin. That serotonin goes into that synapse and attaches to receptors on the next nerve, which then begins um, a, an electrical reaction that sends a nerve in, another electrical impulse down the second nerve. So it's a, it's a messenger that sends um, a signal from one nerve to the other. It's, um, it exists widely throughout the body. Most of it is in the gut. Uh, a lot is in the brain and in peripheral nerves, in nerves in your, your arms and legs and so forth. Um, and, uh, and there are, there are dozens of other chemical messengers like noradrenaline, dopamine that you've probably heard about as well. But why was it linked to depression? Why did this whole narrative start? Right. So it's probably two stages to, to, to that narrative. So the idea that monoamines, so monoamines is the name of a subset of chemical messengers, uh, of which important ones are noradrenaline and serotonin. Um, in the 1960s, a Harvard psychiatrist um, came up with a hypothesis, you know, a, 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 um, a, uh, a possible explanation for depression that it was caused by low levels of noradrenaline or serotonin. And the main reason that he came up with that idea was because some of the medications or drugs that they used to treat depression was found to increase levels of these monoamines, serotonin and noradrenaline. Uh, after a few years, it came to focus on serotonin. So the idea was um, some of these early antidepressants increase serotonin. And so if an increase of serotonin may improve depression, then perhaps depression is caused by low levels of serotonin. So it was a, it was a hypothesis, uh, a guess at what might be causing depression, SSRIs that increase serotonin in the short term. And along with promoting those drugs, they promoted this hypothesis about low serotonin causing depression. So they took an existing academic hypothesis and they amplified it. They sent letters out to uh, GPs and to doctors, um, drug academics um, who were sponsored by drug companies wrote research papers about it. And so it became a very widely um, known hypothesis um, that depression might be caused by low serotonin. So there was a, a message given to GPs signed by a very prominent academic psychiatrist telling them the cause of depression was chemical and that it was an illness, uh, even if it was an understandable response to people's lives. And so that was the message that GPs um, have, uh, have imbibed uh, from this marketing campaign. So basically what they did was taking this hypothesis that depression is caused by low serotonin and produced this new class of medication called SRIs, correct? So, so first of all, SSRIs stands for Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitors. They are the most widely used group of antidepressants currently. Serotonin is released into the synapse, that gap between nerves, uh, when there's electrical activity. There is a transporter 
um, that sucks serotonin out of that synapse and stops it working, so it terminates its activity. That's called the serotonin transporter. It can be thought of as the plug that takes away the bathwater, which is serotonin, and SSRIs block that plug so the serotonin builds up in the synapse and it has more of an effect in the short term. In the long term, it's not so clear what it does. So there are some studies that show that after long-term treatment with, with SSRIs, that actually serotonin levels in the body might be reduced. So a lot of the studies are only focused on short-term effects uh, for a few weeks uh, in animals and in humans. In human studies, one of the findings that we had in the, in the, in the, in the review we, we'll talk about in a second is that people actually had lower levels, people who were on antidepressants actually had lower levels of serotonin in their blood than people that were not treated with antidepressants who were also depressed. And other studies have found lower levels in other fluids in depressed people who are treated with antidepressants. It's not so clear what they do in the long term. There are different explanations that people give um, for how they may work. Um, so, for example, uh, some biological psychiatrists have suggested that antidepressants, that SSRIs may work by not just increasing serotonin, but by having effects that are downstream of that. So, for example, they may lead to the growth of new neurons. They may reduce inflammation. They may affect neural networks, as in change the way that the electrical functioning of the brain works. I think it's important to say about all of those theories that they're theories. They have not been shown in humans. A lot of them come from animal studies or from studies done with cells in a dish. In fact, I've done some of those studies myself. There are also other explanations for how antidepressants work that I think are also important to highlight. So, for example, um, antidepressants like SSRIs can cause numbing of people's emotions. So we know that when we, when we give surveys to patients who are on antidepressants, depending on the survey, between 40% and 70% of patients will say that they have experienced numbing of their emotions. And numbing means a reduction in the intensity of both positive and negative emotions. We know it's dose dependent. So the higher the dose of antidepressant, the more likely it is to cause numbing. And that's evidence for there being a direct relationship because if you double something, it has double the effect. It's a sort of strong evidence of a causal effect. And that is one way in which antidepressants might be said to work because uh, if your emotions are reduced in intensity, you might say that you feel less depressed or less afraid or less uh, fearful or less anxious. The other way that antidepressants may work is through the placebo effect, um, which we know is a very powerful effect. We know that people who are given either sugar pills or antidepressants will all get better. Over, over a few weeks. And that's for several reasons. One, um, we generally get better from anything. So if we're very nauseous or we're very, we have a very bad headache or we're very depressed, in general, we tend to go back towards average. And that tends to happen over several weeks. And so that's called regression to the mean. And that obviously happens with depression. Also, people often become depressed in response to a negative life event, and sometimes they get over it, things get better, so there's natural recovery. And then lastly, there's also the hope 
that people experience when they're given um, a drug, a treatment. You know, they're told this is something that will help you. Um, and we know that people have a very strong response um, to, to a treatment like that where they experience hope. And that maybe may explain why people get better on both sugar pills um, and antidepressants. And then one last aspect that's probably important to mention is people who are given antidepressants know they're on antidepressants a lot of the time because one, there's side effects and two, there's more subtle changes to your consciousness that people can spot. And so people know they're on an antidepressant and that can increase the placebo effect because they think, aha, uh -huh, I'm on a drug. I've been told this drug is helpful. I'm bound to feel better. And that expectation of improving can lead to improvement. So what you did in your research was looking at all these different researches that have been done and try to find some, some truth in there, if there was some truth to be found. And what is the most important takeaway that our audience should take from the review? You know, there, there are lots of informations out there, lots of stakeholders involved, and it's sometimes difficult to understand what is the main, the main takeaway, the main message of a, of a research like yours. What we did was we set about looking at all the high quality studies that had been done in this area. We looked at all the different ways people had looked for serotonin in depression. And that included, for example, looking in the levels of serotonin and the breakdown products of serotonin in the blood um, and the cerebral spinal fluid, that's the fluid around the brain, in both depressed people and healthy volunteers. Um, And for example, in that area, we found overall there was no difference in the levels of serotonin or its breakdown products in depressed people or in healthy volunteers. Um, and we found some evidence in that area that people who were on antidepressants had lower levels of serotonin um, in, their, in their blood. The second thing we looked at is the receptors. So um, serotonin acts by clicking into receptors and that's how it has its effect. So another way that there could be lowered serotonin in depression is if there's less receptors um, around. There was no difference in the receptors that help the activity of um, serotonin. So no evidence of lowered activity in uh, depressed people. One receptor in particular, which is known as the thermostat, thermostat molecule, it sets the levels of serotonin, was actually um, found in such a way that it would explain, it, 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 would, it would suggest that there was higher levels of serotonin in depression than in healthy volunteers. But, but it might be, we think, because um, antidepressants can affect that receptor and that may have skewed the results. But there was no evidence of lowered serotonin activity when looking at receptors. We also looked at that serotonin transporter I mentioned before. It's a very, people have focused on that very much because It's a target of antidepressants. We found there's no difference um, in levels of serotonin transporter between healthy volunteers and, um, and, uh, and depressed people. The last couple of areas we looked at was we looked at studies that caused, that induced lower serotonin levels in people. And they did this by um, changing the diet of people. So serotonin is made from an amino acid we get in our diet and they fed people a diet that lacked that amino acid. And so if you reduce serotonin in, in, in healthy volunteers and that causes depression, well, that's very clear evidence that it causes depression. That's the real test of things. And there was a large meta-analysis looking at 
at that those studies, and it found no difference that if you reduce serotonin in people, um, healthy volunteers, there's no uh, uh, you, you don't induce depression in those people. Um, and the last thing we looked at was the genes. So so genes that control the serotonin transporter in particular have been thought to have an effect on serotonin levels and potentially susceptibility to depression. And what we found was that the different genes, different gene versions of that transporter, there's no difference between dep depressed people and healthy controls. Stress has a very strong effect on depression. That came out again and again in our studies. The more you're exposed to um, personal losses, relationship breakdown, um, adversity, your risk of depression goes up greatly. But it has, according to very large studies, nothing to do with the type of serotonin transporter gene you have. If there was a, a simple takeaway, I would say it was that we didn't find any evidence in 50 years of research that low serotonin or lower serotonin activity was associated with depression. Um, and I guess the main uh, takeaway in general is people shouldn't be told that their depression is caused by low serotonin or colloquially the chemical imbalance because at the moment there's no evidence that that's the case. The thing that shocked me the most when the paper was published is that it had such a huge reaction from the public and so different from the one of the medical professionals. So first of all, did you expect such a reaction and how did you take it? Um, and how do you explain the difference between these two different reactions? So I think in short, I did not expect the level of reaction that the review generated. I think the public was, I think it was shocked. Uh, some of the public was angry. So I've got a lot of emails since the paper was published and people have written to me to say some sort of version of this story. You know, I, I had a terrible thing happen to me in my life. I went to see a doctor and I was told that the cause of my depression was a chemical imbalance that I needed a medication to fix. Um, and, uh, you know, I feel that... Um, uh, one, that affected my decision to take medication because it was presented to me as if I had a chemical problem. And, of course, that made it sensible for me to take a medication. I'm not sure if I would have done, I would have made the same choice if I hadn't been told there was a chemical imbalance because I'm not so keen on medication or I want to look at other ways of dealing with it. Um, and second of all, I've spent my entire life being told I've got a chemical imbalance, that's affected the way I've lived my life because I thought of myself as a fragile person with a, with a, um, a chemical deficit. Um, and to hear that I don't have it, some of them said it brought me to tears because I felt freed from this explanation. Um, or I, some of them said, I suspected this all along. It was great to hear it um, borne out by science. Um, so that was like a very emotional emails from the public. Um, on the other hand, um, professionals had a very different response, which I would describe mostly as anger um, and dismissive. So um, it's quite probably a study in itself about the way that professionals responded to it. Um, there was some, first of all, there was some very mixed kind of contradictory responses. So, um, some of the some of the psychiatrists said, um, of course we didn't 
um, believe that depression was caused by low serotonin. We never said that. We never believed that. It's very old fashioned. Um, while others said, um, of, of course, serotonin is involved in depression. We just need to do more research to find out exactly uh, what it is. So some of them were saying it was so obvious that it wasn't the case. And some of them were saying, no, it is the case, but we just need to do more research. So there was a certain amount of confusion, I think, amongst professionals. But most of the response said we 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 already knew that. So um, our, our research was described as a yawn by some psychiatrists. Um, some psychiatrists compared it to proving that depression is not caused by an excess of black bile. And so they 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 said yes, we already we already we already knew this. We never said this. We never thought it. Which I guess is a bit um, it's a bit baffling because we actually have um, pamphlets. Uh, that some of these psychiatrists have uh, signed and sent out to GPs, which explicitly say depression is caused by low serotonin, telling doctors that these medications will fix it. So I think they're um, slightly retreating from their previous statements. They then sort of said things like, um, uh, well, uh, even if this explanation is not true, um, we still know that antidepressants work and it doesn't matter how they work. And what would you reply to them? A few. So, so in, in relation to the one about we already knew this, this is not news, I think it's probably fair to say in academic psychiatry that probably is true, that there's more complicated explanations for what depression, uh, what, what causes depression, that it's not, they don't teach it's as simple as low serotonin causes depression. But no one told the public that. So no one has, has let the public know that this idea about low serotonin uh, causing depression is outdated, which is why such a, a large number of people in the public still believe that. And I don't think it's been in psychiatrists' interest to tell people that because it makes them look like they're doing a backflip, um, that they, they've said things that they now uh, are reversing their position on. Um, in relation to the idea that antidepressants work, and it doesn't matter how they work, the, the, the evidence that they work is very contested. And they, and they have a very small difference from placebo. There are reasons why they may be um, a bit better than placebo because people are unblinded, so they know they're on the drug. Um, these studies are very short term. The studies that are done in the longer term don't show very good results for antidepressants. Very few people seem to benefit from them. There's even some studies suggesting that people are doing worse on antidepressants than placebo. So this idea that antidepressants work is a very contested statement. I don't think it's nearly as simple as some psychiatrists have pointed out. And then the last statement, it doesn't matter how they work, I think is, is not true. I think it does matter how they work because people are, people are given explanations and narratives about how drugs work. They're not shown clinical trials. They make decisions based on stories. And so if you're presented with the story that you have a chemical imbalance, that an antidepressant will fix, then it would be ridiculous not to say yes to that drug. If that explanation is not the case, then the first thing to say is we don't really know how antidepressants work. That's a very different explanation to they fix the chemical imbalance. And then there are other explanations for how they might work um, that probably people should be aware of. They, they could be working through the placebo effect and they could be working by numbing your emotions. Uh, and being told that this is a drug that may numb your emotions is a very different kettle of fish 
to being told this will fix your underlying chemical problem. You might think, well, I don't want to take a drug that numbs me, or if I do want to take it, it might make sense to take it for a shorter period of time. Um, people might start to think through, well, if they numb negative emotions, they probably numb positive emotions, and that might have consequences in the long term on relationships and quality of life and uh, intimacy. So I think it does very much matter what explanation people are given about how these drugs work. And there is another thing I'd like to clarify, which is that some people said that the risk of this research was that it could invite people to stop taking SSRIs overnight, which is not what people should do. Can you talk about this and about the risks of stopping medications overnight and how people should actually do it if they want to? Right. So out of all the criticisms of our paper, um, I found this one the most uh, unfair because uh, a lot of my work and, and, and uh, other, other co-authors is on how to stop antidepressants. And the main message is to stop them very gradually in very small steps. So the opposite of stopping them abruptly. And of course, to anybody out there considering stopping an antidepressant, uh, I would say certainly don't do it, don't do it abruptly. Talk to your uh, to to a, to a an informed clinician about how to do it safely, and I guess the main reason why I give that advice is because we know that stopping antidepressants, especially abruptly or quickly, can cause withdrawal effects, and these withdrawal effects can be very severe for some people. Um, they can be worse than the condition that people were first put on the drugs for. Um, and they can last for a long time. We know that for some people they can last for months or years uh, and they can lead to very distressing outcomes like uh, akathisia in some patients where they feel very agitated and in some people it seems that abruptly stopping antidepressants can cause such severe withdrawal effects they can lead to suicide or attempts. Uh, and so I, I would absolutely advise everybody listening and any patient never to stop antidepressants or other psychiatric drugs abruptly. Uh, we know that the safer way to do so to stop these drugs is to stop them more gradually over months and sometimes longer, down in very small amounts, down to very low final doses before stopping. And it seems that that reduces people's uh, severe withdrawal effects. And so I would, I would certainly underline that message for any, any viewers. Yeah, thank you very much. Absolutely. To conclude, I believe that these kind of researches, especially when I also moved from a personal experience, are aimed at making this world a bit better. So I'd like to understand, after the research has been published, what is the role of different stakeholders involved to, to support the findings of this paper? So what can psychiatrists or medical professionals do to stop the chemical imbalance narrative? And what can organizations such as Mental Health Europe help to do to dispel the myth of the chemical imbalance theory, both among the mental health professionals and the general public? I think it's, it's very important that people are given honest and transparent explanations of what we know and what we don't know about mental health conditions so that they can make informed choices about their treatment and about um, the way that they, they live their lives. So, you know, I think people need to be told explicitly that depression is not caused by a chemical imbalance or low serotonin, so far as we know. And I have had the point made that if you don't tell people that explicitly, they you, you should assume that they already think that. If 90% of the population thinks that depression is caused by chemical imbalance or low serotonin, we need to actively 
not just not mention it, but actively tell them that that's not the case because they, they're probably walking around that idea because, you know, it is literally in the water around us. Uh, it's in the media, you know, in England, where I know things better more recently, on the, on the BBC and on other popular uh, TV shows, doctors, general practitioners have told the public that depression is caused by chemical imbalance that can be fixed by an antidepressant. So you have to assume that people know that or think that, and you need to actively tell them that it's that there's a more you know complicated explanation for depression. Of course, the events in people's lives and their childhoods. Of course, biology is involved in depression. I wouldn't. I, I would never suggest otherwise. Uh, biology and genetics probably affect our sensitivity to stress, our personality styles. So I think that biology is an important part of. Uh, what causes depression, why it makes people susceptible to depression. But to say something that is as concrete and narrow as low serotonin or specific chemical imbalance causes depression is not supported by evidence and shouldn't be, be said. In fact, I think that a public health campaign is needed to correct this misunderstanding in the public um, because it is certainly affecting the way people think about themselves. We know in studies where people are given either a chemical imbalance explanation or a more psychosocial or biopsychosocial explanation, those people who are told they've got a chemical imbalance are more likely to choose medication over therapy, uh, are more likely to be pessimistic about their chances of recovery, because of course you're being told there is a serious chemical problem in a major organ. Um, you know, it's, it sounds like it may be permanent. Uh, and we know it makes them less confident to rely on their own resources to get over things. Um, I think we need to tell people that this explanation is not supported by evidence. And, and number two, I think we also need to be um, queued up to spot the next marketing story that comes along. So SSRIs are now mostly off patent. Drug companies aren't making money from them. There's less and less people defending them, or they're still around. But this story, this pattern is going to be is, is being repeated as we speak and will be repeated again. Uh, and so this pattern of a very specific explanation being given for depression that fits the marketing um, aims of companies because it makes their drugs seem like a very plausible, sensible response to depression is being used again. Uh, and so people should be very sceptical of every time this new explanation comes up. And, and as a last point, they're also talking about the opioid theory of depression as they're trying to market opioids like methadone as a treatment for depression. So these drugs are now being uh, put through trials in America and they are trying to promote um, opioids uh, for depression using this idea that depression is caused by uh, opioid dysfunction. So the same, the same story again. Wow, there are quite some things we need to be aware of and look out for. Ultimately, the reason why we wanted to have this conversation is because there is never enough legitimate information out there. There are so many scams, so many fake news, and the general public in the end is the one that can be harmed. It's, it's great that, that Mental Health Europe is doing this kind of podcast to get information out to people about uh, the, the, the explanations for depression. I think it's a very useful public service because there are so many voices on the other side putting forward corporate messages. So I think any grassroots organization that can put out messages to patients to have them be more well-informed and make more sensible decisions for their health is a fantastic public service.
Thank you for listening to Empowering Minds. You can keep following Mental Health Europe's work on our website, mhe-sme.org, and on our social media accounts on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.